This is Film Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at, but why they like it, but they'll know they want it. again everyone welcome in to episode 239 of film tank alex deekman here with you along with nick cheney hello there hi bud hi. good to talk to you again good to talk to you again <laughs> i love that our podcast has been a uh, consistent thing throughout this uh coronavirus pandemic so <laughs> it's been consistent for us <laughs> Oh, not for our listeners. No. There's been a couple episodes that have. I feel like there. the weirdest thing before we introduce our wonderful honorary co-host, but I feel like the weirdest thing about Film Tank, in a nutshell, as far as how we experienced it and how it actually exists in the world, is like for us, it is something we do every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you would not know it. <laughs> Yeah, we, we're a big fan of releasing the bank of episodes. Yeah. So, I mean, if you just catch up after a long time, I mean, it looks like, oh, look at this long list, but they all have the same release date. So, yeah. Yeah. so Anna Bodazadu joining us again. She is the reigning champion of the uh, guests. And, I mean, you're not even really a guest at this point. You've been on so many episodes that you're, you're that's like why, on the cusp of that's being why I said honorary co-host honorary just, co-host yeah. I like that it. is that is so incredibly kind thank you so well, much you that... earned it buddy <laughs> <laughs> well thanks for having me back it's always a pleasure and um i love being here with you guys so uh, thank fun. you well, for... we love having you most of the time unless you're making us watch cabin fever hey <laughs> I enjoyed that. Hey, my next recommendation to Alex is actually a good movie. So I'll let him bring that up whenever he wants. But um. Yeah, well, down the road, probably before the end of the summer, which will probably mean a December release day. Um, <laughs> so it's like today. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's going great. Oh, Wait, let me so tell good. you, he's... He's trying to save cinema, but he's also ruining it. So, uh, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, why won't he just, like, hold it hostage? Like, that could save cinema as well. Be like, hey, like, honestly, this sounds really dumb, I think. But also, I think sometimes the dumbest ideas are actually good marketing. Like, why didn't, uh, is it Warner Brothers that's made it? Yeah. Yeah, so why didn't Warner Brothers, like, team up with Christopher Nolan literally to make, like, PSAs, like, hey, America, if you want Tenet, then you gotta wear your mask. Like, like I'm sorry, but I actually think that that would have actually went viral and been pretty great. 
Yeah, it, it, the whole thing's been a, and like almost every other film has just been like just backing away and holding off for another day. And yet they have been defiant this whole time and it's just blown up in their face. Yeah. Um, I look at my. Now, oh, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say now they're like, well, we're going to release it in other places and <laughs> then the U.S. later. And man, I, I don't know. I it mean, just, they the should. Just, I mean,. Yeah, I, I they, want it they, obviously, they, but if we well, can't do it, then why should <laughs> others? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it, it's just a weird dynamic, especially because of the defiance about having to have it in theaters and having to have it on specific dates, and it was moved back three times, and now it's just indefinitely delayed, and the whole thing's just been a big floppy mess. Yeah, although I will say, oh, what were you gonna say, Anna? I was just going to say really quickly, I remember going into, uh, eons ago, I remember walking into a movie theater <laughs> and seeing um, the promotional uh, displays for Mulan, because I think originally Mulan supposed to, was supposed to come out in like April, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited for Mulan. And then I remember for a while it was like, Disney was hesitating on their release date for Mulan. And then it was like Warner brothers was releasing on their was hesitating on their release date for Tenet. And then they made like the decision, let's just put it in China for now. And Disney was like, eh, we don't really know what we're going to do with Mulan yet. And it's just like, it's give me my fucking Mulan already, man. Like, Whoa. <laughs> man, she's, she's, she's ready. Well, they gave you Artemis fowl. Yeah. What more do you want? <laughs> and Hamilton. Oh my god. I guess they sure did, huh? And I yeah. speaking of Disney, I've been waiting two years for new mutants and they're just gonna throw it away on Disney Plus. So that is the biggest I know we talk about it a lot, but you know what? For good reason. Way more than uh Tenet, that for me is the biggest like blunder during this whole COVID theater, you know, pushback, whatever. Uh, the fact that we have not seen new mutants on video on demand, uh, yet, or I guess ever, uh, is still one of the craziest things I think that has ever happened. The only thing I could say for that is that they must be thinking we've pumped so much money into this damn film. It's going to the theater. But I don't think, oh man, see, I'm getting weirdly, I wouldn't, the word's not optimistic, but I keep thinking that they think they have a good movie. Not because I think they do or they don't, but that's the only thing. Because I mean, I think Warner Brothers is like, no matter what Tenet is, this is a Christopher Nolan film, which is good in its own respect, even if it's not one of his best or whatever. But, like, for Fox to just hang on to New Mutants for this long during all these sh whatever, and during COVID not to release it, makes me think that for some weird reason, they think they have an, a genuine uh, bona fide hit. That is the only thing that makes sense to me. Because yeah, how... Well, X-Men movies are not that profitable compared to, like, every other superhero movie. So, here's my theory. I think, I, and to some degree, I think you might have just uh, talked about it, but this is how I feel. I think because it was on the tail end of filming slash starting post when um, the Fox merger was occurring, 
I think Fox was doing their darndest to not let the Disney claws into their new mutants as much as they. No, I'm pretty. I'm, I'm pretty sure that movie sucked. <laughs> just, that's the thing. Just, I don't just care if it. I don't care if it sucks. I wanted New Mutants the way Fox intended, yeah, not the I way Disney it... was going to vomit all over it, which is, I assume, what they did. But then I also heard that Disney kind of rolled backwards a little bit and was letting Fox kind of do their thing when it came to post and like when it came to editing. And like, it's not like they can do more and more reshoots because those kids are young. Maisie Williams probably would have been 25 if they got their way, like with their reshoots. At oh this no, point. we talked about this on a previous episode. Anya Taylor Joy looks three years younger when you watch the preview. Oh but God! See, that's I, the that's the thing. But filming. Here, here's the thing. I, yeah. I feel like there's a chance that they had David Ayer's Suicide Squad in the first cut, and they're like, ugh, ugh. We don't yeah. want that. I will admit they have not had very good success with uh, edgy superhero movies that were not explicitly comedies. Obviously, Deadpool uh, was that was its signifying you know factor, and obviously a lot of people liked it. Um, <laughs> um, I Nick not. not included. No. <laughs> Although I weirdly thought the second one was better, but I don't. I don't know. If I thought just... the second one was. Was also good, okay. but we also didn't get into a huge argument about the second one outside the theaters. Well, because it was better. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm reading Wikipedia really quick, and filming <laughs> this is hey, this is the most trustworthy news source since Fox News. Um, filming ended uh, in September of 2017, so the Fox merger was. I know, obviously. It was probably in the works way before we really knew about it, but it still seems like that was like quite a bit after all footage basically had been filmed. I know they did reshoots and whatnot, but essentially the whole Fox merger seemed more like the like a version of COVID, like something that they couldn't control, but in reality shouldn't have had any real effect on, you know, the, the actual marketability of this movie, which for all intents and purposes looks like a very mediocre film that I would probably eat up. Hmm. Yeah. Me too, because I just I just want New Mutants. Like, that's it. That's all I want. Like, Well, according to Wikipedia, uh, the release date is August 28th. So, <laughs> we'll I don't know when that was. Until works. it gets pushed back indefinitely. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, boy. So, uh, coming up on this episode uh, here in just a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's, we, it's been like 15 minutes and we have not even it's been mentioned bad. the movie that we're going to be talking about. It's okay. Uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, 1980s film by Tony Scott, Days of Thunder. That 1980s movie that came out in 1990. Was it really 1990? I thought it was 89. I mean, to be fair, a 1990 film is an 80s film. Yeah. I was just giving you shit. Movies really 80s. Oh, 1990. In cinema, the 80s did not end until about 92. Yeah. But, uh, so, good call. I look like a stooge. So, the 1990 film, Days of Thunder, uh, which stars Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, and Robert Duvall. And we'll get into that. Here shortly, but first, 
second straight episode of a week in review. Um, and who wants to go first? Alex can. Okay. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, uh, two quick films I want to mention. Uh, last week, I did my first rewatch since the theater. So this was 12 years ago. Um, of the movie Zack and Miri Make a Porno. Oh. Uh, I, yeah, I am not a fan of Kevin Smith, as I have said quite a number of times on this podcast. Um, but I remember liking this when I saw it in the theater, and I enjoyed this also, uh, this uh, second time through many years later. And I didn't think it was great, but... You know, especially now where comedies are in such a dire place in cinema, um, this got plenty of laughs for me, which is really the barometer for a comedy film. And it had a decent storyline, too, even though it's about these people who have this cockamamie scheme of making a porno to get rich. Or at least, um, yeah, that was good, right? Um, it was. Yeah, so there's a lot of interesting scenes here. And I mean, there's very easy things to remember, whether it be the uh, scene where Katie Morgan literally shits on the guy's face um, or the interesting sex scene with Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks that they think is like the greatest thing ever. And it's just two normal people having sex on top of a sack. Um you're really so, going for all the puns. Hey. So I will say one scene that has aged terribly, but also I thought was just hilarious, uh, was the scene with Seth Rogen talking with uh, Justin Lawn and Brendan Routh. <laughs> Brendan Routh, who was fresh off of that disastrous Superman movie, um, and Justin Lawn, who was kind of a little bit popular at this time period. Oh yeah, that era for sure. Yeah, he yeah. was. And he eventually went on to make that very uninteresting film with Kevin Smith called Tusk, which I know <laughs> Nick saw in the theater. No. Oh, really? Famously, I did not see the movie in the theater, but oh. it was in the theater for the three months that I worked at a movie theater, <laughs> and I have seen the ending to it many times, which is easily, without having seen the anything but the ending, the best part of that movie, and also the weirdest thing to watch, uh, sans context. So I've definitely, if you've seen the last 10 minutes of Tusk, you've seen the film Tusk. Um, I've seen the whole film, and I agree with that. So <laughs> <laughs> I just remember for the very first time, like, standing there going, oh, okay, so A, it takes this long for you know gestures at everything on screen this to happen <laughs> and b thank god because i don't know who could sit here for a hundred minutes and watch this for a, a hundred minutes so uh so real quick the justin lawn brandon routh scene where they are discussing being in gay porn together um <laughs> i I really do feel like that that probably in the way it is presented would not happen today, but I still found it hilarious. Um, and also like, like I found it also to be like, not super 
terrible towards anything or it didn't like seem overly homophobic, but it also at the same time had some pretty hilarious one-liners and mentions, especially from Justin Lawn, who is playing it totally serious. Um, so that part also parts in a coffee shop with Craig T. Robinson are pretty hilarious. That's probably the uh, best line of that movie. Oh, the, uh, I want, uh, uh, he said something about, I want a coffee black. He said, you're not going to get it white. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's <great>. pretty great. <laughs> That's pretty great. So um, there's there's a lot of moments here, and then there's things that for sure don't work and aspects of it that I just squirmed at because it's a Kevin Smith film and his style is just not for me. But at the same time, uh, definitely some great laugh-out-loud moments. The other film I want to mention real quick is the also first rewatch I've had since the theater of the 2012 film Lincoln. Uh, oh. from Steven Spielberg that starred Daniel Day-Lewis, which he won his third of three Oscars for, playing President Abraham Lincoln. Uh, the, the thing else, two things I'll say about it. The first is that this movie is kind of weird because I found it oddly funny at a lot of moments. And I think that there are performances and line readings that led to that because it's not a comedy, obviously. It's a movie about Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. Um, <laughs> Laugh riot. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of comedic elements, especially in the first hour or so. And there's also a lot of really, I think, pretty witty line readings uh, throughout the entirety of the film uh, that I, I found quite humorous. So I will say that part of it, and it was definitely not a masterpiece, but I thought it was quite enjoyable. But the thing I wanted to mention most is the like extraordinary depth of the cast in this. And, and this is eight years old now, but man, like the names in this, I was just blown away by the people who kept showing up. Because in addition to Daniel Day-Lewis, you had Sally Field playing Mary Todd Lincoln. Then you had also David Strathairn, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, James Spader, Hal Holbrook, Tommy Lee Jones... John Hawks, Jack Haley, Bruce McGill, also Tim Blake Nelson, Jared Harris, Lee Pace, uh, Jeremy Strong, who we've seen as <laughs> Kendall in Succession, and then also Michael Stolberg and Walton Goggins. Mm. So, I mean, I mean there, there's just a lot of people here that show up throughout this film, and just watching it, especially in 2020, I'm like, whoa, Walton Goggins, what's he doing here? Um, and, a, and a really weird, small performance by James Spader. So interesting casting, definitely very deep, uh, especially in a film that is almost entirely about Daniel Day-Lewis and his portrayal of Abraham Lincoln, obviously giving a very um, loud performance as per usual, but a good film. Uh, I think very good, but also... Um, I think I liked it for a lot of reasons that would not be the usual reasons you would think that a Abraham Lincoln uh, film would be good for. So can I, that's, yeah. While you're talking about it, can I ask you a, yeah. well, two random questions, one to jog my memory, but then uh, another one. So the first question is, cause I haven't seen it since the theater. So I just want to make sure I remember it correctly. 
the ending-ish of the movie with the reveal of the Tommy Lee Jones character is married, uh, right, to... Um, Mm, he he. They are Ma- not married, but together or whatever. Um, but and that's she a, is she is um, she is his housekeeper, and yes. then behind closed doors they are lovers. Okay, but I just want to make sure. My first question is because it's been a while. That was like a reveal, right? Like they don't hint at that. They don't do anything until the moment that they show you uh, them in the bedroom, right? That is correct. Okay, so now in 2020, I'm curious because I haven't rewatched it. Does that, like, scene that, like, if I think back on that scene, like, I don't know how I would feel about that. I haven't really watched the movie, so I, you know, can't give any kind of opinion on it. But where that almost seems weirdly, uh, almost trying to shade a sympathy where one is not necessarily earned because it doesn't matter what you do in your private life. It matters what you do for the... Um, now, what do you mean about sympathy? I guess. I guess. Uh, so, Tommy Lee Jones, because I once again, I it's been a while, and I'm not a big history buff. But Tommy Tommy Lee Jones plays what is it like one of the uh, senators or congressmen that is a holdout, right? Oh um, no, he is very strongly for um, the amendment. He oh. wants to go further on the amendment. The amendment. Wait, all right. Let's break this down really quick. Okay. Because maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Okay. Uh, so specifically, what amendment? Not like number, but just what? He he is leading the charge on other than Abraham Lincoln. He is leading the charge on the Thirteenth Amendment to uh... free slaves, and he also wants to go way further than the language that is in the proposed amendment, and wants to have them be totally free and also have voting rights and everything because he believes that they should be treated as complete equals, not just be freed from slavery. Okay. That is why I asked the question because I definitely remembered it completely wrong. (laughs) Um, And that's why I was slightly confused when I was remembering it because I like... It's so, been so long, so and I didn't a, love the movie, but all I remember about him besides the reveal is that he's, like, portrayed as the antagonist to Lincoln. Um, but that's not, my own memory, not the actual the, film. The, the only, other than the, like, overtly group of Southern racists that are um, led by Jackie Earl Haley, um, the, the loudest person in the um, Senate is played by Lee Pace, who is like constantly shouting when he is talking in session about how terrible these people are. And they're trying to, st- I mean, very much like shit you'd hear right now, unfortunately, but shouting about there, they're trying to take your rights away. They're trying to ruin the economy, blah, 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 blah. Um, but he has a lot of scenes where he's doing that, where Tommy Lee Jones is pretty much, the other side of that where he is arguing against that and he's pretty much playing his usual character of a grumpy asshole so so it's so interesting that if that is the case which i obviously believe you then it's like why is that even like uh visually depicted as like a reveal that he would be uh like why couldn't that be something that's embedded into the entire narrative woven throughout 
so I actually thought about that. So I'll I'll offer two thoughts my own. Great. Yeah. One is that um, a I have no idea about the historical accuracy of that detail, so I'm not sure about anything regarding it. So uh, I don't really know how to have a true firm thought on that. But the second will be that I feel like there's a potential that hmm, this is hard because there's not a good answer to this because I feel like there's a chance that Steven Spielberg wanted to plant the seed of him doing all this. Uh, yeah, there's no, no, no good way to say that. Now I'm thinking more about it because even if you plant the seed that he actually thinks this and then revealing it to the end, that's not good because that almost takes away from that character because uh, at least story-wise, that would be saying that the only reason why he feels that way is because he's in love with, I don't know. It's kind of a weird detail. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. You know what? I feel like without committing to this, that means we should do an episode on it one day in the wow. future. Okay. Because I need to rewatch it because I definitely thought Tommy Lee Jones was like anti-slavery, which says a lot about how much that reveal mm. uh, affects, I would say, one's memory of a film. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I'll close off by saying this. I remember really liking it in the theater, and I still really liked it. Um, there are, I mean, this is pretty much a perfect role for Daniel Day-Lewis as he has an opportunity to tell all of these bizarre stories, which I feel like it's clearly makes it seem like that's a trait that Abraham Lincoln had, that he always has a, had a story for everything, whatever, but, um, his performance and the way he lands those stories in it is pretty great. Also, this is a pretty early performance from Adam Driver in this movie. I just remember that. Another person who was here. So Yeah, that was like the first thing I think he ever did after yeah. the first season of Girls. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, I took up a lot of time there talking oh, about uh, that was my movies fault. that I talked about. Well, yeah, Nick, you kind of helped that along. But um, Anna, it's your turn. You get to go now. Great. Okay, so um, I was... Um, I was debating what to talk about for my weekend review. Um, so I think this counts as, you know, one full answer in my mind. So um, I did finish the very first season of the show Succession very recently. Um, that's been talked about um, off mic before because I had heard about it from my friends here on the show um and i gotta say i'm not disappointed i really 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 like it um very seldom is i mean do i not enjoy something on hbo honestly because that's just the kind of network that they are but like i really do love it um i love the whole cast um nicholas braun cousin greg is my favorite um and i think the show is so good and i'm so excited for season two um what what's really funny to me though and i don't know if it's just me and this is an extremely weird thing to focus on but i feel like kendall only looks good in the tracking shots when the camera follows him like he is a man who wears a suit 
and he's really good at like that. Attractive wise, yes. Oh, okay. No, I just <laughs> wanted to make sure. Okay. Interesting. So that's like, no, that's, he, but I feel like he's very he's very suited for like a role like that, you know? Oh yeah, oh, okay. I mean, a lot of the I would say, if not close ups or just very pointed uh, capturing of him is, I think, deliberately trying to make him look like a person wearing the suit. Uh, in a very false way, like this is just not what he's made for. I was oh, gonna say, really? I, I, I do think then I think the show, this was 100% what it was going for, uh, but in the second season, we see uh, a different direction. In the first season, I mostly feel like Kendall's pathetic and it's exactly what they were trying to show. Um, I, I remember the, I think it's the pilot or maybe the second episode. Um, where he's listening to rap music on his... Oh, huge... that's the pilot. Okay. I think that's literally the first scene. First that's scene? His, that's yep. his introduction and, to us. Yeah, and, and he's just being a total asshole, and he's, like, getting fired up for this meeting he's having with uh, the guy from... Is it Volter? Is that the, yep. the name of yeah. the company? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and he's just looks so out of his element even though he feels confident, uh, it's a really weird spot and very bizarre. Right. And I was talking about this with my mom, not particularly like how he appears visually on camera and the choice of costume, but like there's, I think it's in the second or third episode where he tries to video chat with his estranged wife Hmm. and he's asking her for business advice and he's like, you're always so good at this kind of stuff. So I thought I would ask you. And I think that's like the first day where Kendall is like acting CEO while Logan is still in the hospital. And my mom was like, look at him. He has no idea what the fuck he's doing. And I was like, but hasn't he been working there for like three well, years? Well, you see, like, here's the thing. Nobody knows what's going on, so yeah, he fits right in. <laughs> I guess so, huh? Not to mention so, when you're, you know, daddy's son, you don't really have to know what you're doing because literally you can't do anything wrong uh, in in at least some respects. Right. So, um, yeah, but I, um, I really, really like the show. I'm so excited to see what the future holds, and I know it got renewed for a third season, which is great. Um, I am so excited for the future of this show. And I got to say, Kieran Culkin is honestly, like, so good. Like, I know he comes from a family of actors and, like, no, no surprise at that, honestly. But I remember him distinctly from one of my favorite films ever, which is Scott Pilgrim. And I know he had such a small role in that film, but he was so memorable. And I feel like he's used very well in the show. So I really like him a lot too. Oh, for sure. And I would Um, say season two has even better stuff in store for that character. Perfect. And then uh, my second part for, um, well, not to immediately cut off Nick, but I'm very excited. I didn't want to lose my train of thought. Um, My second... um, Part of my weekend review is that I'm exactly halfway through the movie Brightburn, um, which I think you guys have talked about. Yeah, see, okay. Um, so far, I really like it. I just know Ooh. it's 
really long so far, but I will let you know when I'm finished with this. <laughs> that was uh, thank you one for of the, the update. Worst, that was one of the worst movies I saw last year. Oh man, uh, I I'm sorry, Anna, but unfortunately, I side with Alex. Uh, <laughs> I think like I really should have liked it because. I'm kind of a hybrid of, like, I pretty much like anything that's horror-esque. You know, I'm not saying it's right. like super scary or whatever. But also, obviously, I'd be down, uh, even if I've come around, but anything that's critical of the superhero genre. But it did not uh, did not work for me. Um, there, there was a really, it was about halfway through, there was a fantastic kill uh, of, like, a shitty uncle or something like that who was in a truck. Yes, uh, so that's exactly where we stopped watching it is right after that scene ended. Oh, so, so you saw his face fall apart on the yeah, road? Yeah, his, his face breaking at the jaw. Ugh. Yep, that was oh, awesome. It the rest of the movie was really disappointing. Oh, that's a bummer. I was thinking the deaths would get crazier and crazier. Mm. But anyway, I'll wait to see what happens. But <laughs> it's just so funny because... The kid, obviously, the boy is the the focus. He's the uh, the anti-hero because he's not the antagonist. He's the anti-hero because he's still like central to the story. Um, not it just makes me wonder. I feel like he would have been the kind of actor to audition for Stranger Things, and then when he got rejected from that, he had a really really good connection, and now he was in this big budget movie called Brightburn, which comes from the same director as Guardians of the Galaxy. And yet it gets reviews like that aren't great from you guys. Um, but so far, I mean, I really like it. So we'll see. That if wasn't it, directed it, by James Gunn, was it? Well, it was certainly written by him. Uh, I think it was produced by him. Are you kidding me? Oh my I, God. I, no, I maybe written, but I, I remember they kept playing up. No, it was written by Mark Gunn and Brian Gunn. Uh, okay, produced Robert. by James Gunn. Yeah. No, in the trailers, they kept putting James Gunn's name up in very big letters and then in very small letters uh, saying that it was produced by him. Oh, Another God. Mortal Engines attempt. Peter yeah. Jackson was not involved with this. Yep. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, so, so far... I really like it. Not too impressed with the uh, the main child actor. Hopefully his career will be better from here, but um, I'll let you guys know how it goes for me. Please so, do. That's Nick, my Nick, review. A season of a show and half a movie. <laughs> Nick, Nick, do you have an Elizabeth Banks reference uh, in your weekend review? Uh, do I... Nope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would have completed the trifecta. I had to think about it for a second. I mean, I watch a lot of shit, uh, but now, unfortunately, I do not. Uh, the or only a thing. Strong one. I'm or a Jeremy one. Strong reference, because Jeremy Strong is in oh, Succession. Yes. He was in Lincoln. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Hmm. Wait a minute. No. I actually did just watch something with Jeremy Strong. Oh, my God. Is there a trifecta? Hold this on. Uh. He's just going to read the name of it, and then he'll move on to what he actually I was going to say, I watched it five years ago. Uh, <laughs> no, I really did just watch something with Jeremy Strong. Oh, no, it was about two or three weeks ago, but I did rewatch Molly's Game, and he's in that. I was going to yes. say, did you rewatch Serenity? <laughs> Someday no. we're going to watch that again, which Are is we? Uh, 
You can. Oh, Tucson's got to see it. I mean, yeah, yeah. sure. I mean, <laughs> he can do that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but anyway, uh, the only thing I want to mention in my weekend review is uh, the fact that I've been catching up on a show that just ended last year, um, ended on its own terms, and that is the FX series uh, Baskets, starring Zach Galifianakis. I I watched the first few episodes when it first came out, and I was not in any way uh, like against it by any means. In fact, I thought it was funny or whatever, but I just didn't keep going because that's kind of... Uh, it takes a lot for me to watch something week to week, to be honest, because I'm always watching a million other things. So it's over now, so of course now I'm catching up. And I gotta say, I'm kicking myself because um, I am pretty much in love with it. I think... It is one of the best, uh, it's got uh, so many great qualities. One of them is that it's one of the best casted shows. Um, every single person that comes on screen, whether they have one line or they are a major character, is so weirdly specific in a way that like delights me every time we meet a new character because I now have the utmost faith that they are this weirdly dimensional human being, even if we're never going to learn uh, all their facets and whatnot. It, it's such a specific form of casting that I just it I just think it's fantastic. Um, but getting a little deeper into the cast, uh, the main... Uh, turn here by Zach Galifianakis is fantastic. He, what I like is that it is on the surface certainly a uh, representation of what at the time and probably even still today that he was known for as far as being these kind of like grown man-child doofuses. Uh, but the film, uh, film, the TV series, uh, starts with that idea and then really starts to deconstruct it in a very, uh, I, I think, genuinely emotional way. Um, I mean, literally, it's a show about a failing clown. <laughs> so it's not like it's trying to hide its metaphors too, uh, too much. And um, the fact that he actually plays twins, he plays the main character and his own twin brother, um, means he gets to do both versions of that kind of manic uh, man-child, whether it's like the extremely uh, shouty and effeminate one, uh, or the more kind of quiet, withdrawn, uh, kind of like more like Alan in The Hangover and whatnot. Um, but what's terrific is that the more the show goes on, the more that image of uh, that character really gets uh, peeled away. And I know that's like just sounds like, like that's what any good TV show does. But if you take where the show started, which is about a delusional clown who like goes to Paris to go to clown school. Like these are ideas for like absurd sketches that you would find in like SNL or something but the show takes them ultra seriously so at the end of the day I think the creator of the show Jonathan Crusell calls it a slapstick drama and I think that's probably the most apt description uh, one could love at it which is that it never uh, breaks uh, you know as far as like 
um, you know, there's no like weird dream sequences or anything where it always stays in this weird, absurd wavelength, but it takes its character's emotions extremely seriously to the point where by the second season, like I'm almost on the verge of tears by every episode because it has crafted all of these characters and, and even especially so outside of even Zach Galifianakis' character, uh, uh, inner kind of struggles and the way that they're trying to relate to each other. Um, and, special shout out to Louis Anderson who plays uh, Chip who's Zach Galifianakis uh, Chip's mother um, that on paper is a huge uh, undertaking because that the show only was back in you know started in 2016 and on paper that is a guy uh, in drag playing a role you know like there's nothing more to it uh, until you actually view it and you see that Somehow, Louis Anderson is not, uh, you know, John Travolta and Hairspray remake. Like, it is a, a incredibly lived-in performance that feels like only Louis Anderson could play this specific character. And if you read interviews, which I have with Louis Anderson, he says a lot of his uh, facial tics and his performance is actually a tribute to his own mother. And you can completely feel that in his performance. And it's, it's just one of the most touching uh, mother-son relationships I've ever seen on television. But the whole cast is kind of that in a nutshell. It's it's taking an absurd idea, whether it's a failing clown or even uh, metally speaking, you know, a a guy kind of doing the hairspray routine or whatever. uh, Basically going past that first impression and showing you something way more uh, lived in and broken underneath. And it's, it's just spectacular. And I'm only halfway through the second season and it lasts for four seasons and from what i hear it pretty much only gets better with every season so i i think it's spectacular um myself included uh i don't think it got its due when it was on and i genuinely think it announces zach galifianakis as a talent even if most people uh are not going to witness it so i just want to put that out there if you have not watched uh baskets i highly encourage that Right on, man. Good stuff. So, uh, this episode is going to be surrounding the movie Days of Thunder, which I mentioned a short while ago. But this is a film uh, that involves NASCAR, so it is a sports film. And it was released in 1990, even though I said it was an 80s film. And this film surrounds a young hotshot stock car driver gets his chance to compete at the top level that is saying almost nothing but there you go (laughs) so the film as i mentioned was directed by tony scott uh and features tom cruise nicole kidman and robert duvall also featured here are randy quaid and michael rooker and we have performances by carrie elways john c Riley, fred thompson and some other people along the way who you may have seen uh, at other points throughout the history of film. So, uh, you guys want me to go first, since I was the one who suggested this movie? Yes, but before you go, also, while Alex was mentioning other actors in the film, this film features the first performance by esteemed character actress Margot Martindale. Did you guys notice her? 
you know she's what? the timekeeper on the track and like the very oh yeah in, in the very beginning right and I, what i said in the very beginning like the first in 20. the very very beginning i think yeah. that's the only part where she shows up but apparently this is her first role ever and i was like oh my Ooh. god esteemed character actress margot martindale so that's it hell oh, yeah hell yeah right on so uh i had a weird history with nascar because uh my dad watched nascar occasionally when i was growing up and then he watched it quite a bit when nascar had its major boom in the mid to late 90s uh so i watched it often in the mid to late 90s was that uh, basically so not... the jeff gordon boom oh yes okay i just wanted to know so, yeah I mean, NASCAR really hit its stride in the Jeff Gordon era, which was highlighted by early on in his era, his feud with Dale Earnhardt. Um, And then, obviously, there were a lot of things that happened uh, in the, you know, five to six years that NASCAR was extremely popular. Um, And then we see the end of that when um, Dale Earnhardt's death in 2001 and then everything that followed and it kind of is still watched by a lot of people, um, but is certainly not what it was in the mid to late nineties. Anyways. So this film um, was something that I saw early on in my lifetime. I wasn't really little, so I didn't like grow up with this or anything like that. Um, But I watched this uh, when I was probably around like 12 or so for the first time. And I will say I've enjoyed this every single time I've watched it. And I feel like I've enjoyed it for different reasons every time I've watched it uh, in my lifetime, depending on what year I've watched this. Uh, I personally think this film is great and it's not a masterpiece or anything like that, but this is super enjoyable, fun uh, camp at points. Also, has these weird, serious storylines uh, throughout it that I feel like actually kind of work at some points. Obviously, some of them don't. Um, and then there are so many other things here that are just so uncomfortable and awkward. But I feel like those are a hallmark of 80s films, especially in this particular film, since it's an 80s film that revolves heavily around NASCAR. Um this hits a lot of really weird notes and I just really like it a lot, actually. Um, even though Tom Cruise is a star here and I think he definitely has some good moments in this, I feel like he is not the best part of this movie. Uh, and the, the three characters that I really like in this are, well, I do quite like Nicole Kidman. So she's one of them, even though she's not great, but I think she's still giving a pretty solid performance in this. Uh, even under a very bizarre situation. I I mean, I I think that her character and that way the character is treated would pretty much never happen in current cinema. But here, I think she's giving a pretty strong performance and obviously had good on-screen chemistry with Tom Cruise as they eventually went on to be married and then divorced and whatever. But I like Nicole Kidman a lot, but... I think Robert Duvall is fantastic in this, actually. He finds this really weird spot to be the charming asshole uh, that is always something that is very fun to see on screen. 
while also definitely being a NASCAR good old boy uh, in pretty much every sense of that term. And also, too, he has this really dark storyline in the background about how he was the crew chief that was under the death of somebody and he abruptly left the sport when there was an investigation into it. And he only comes back when it's promised that there will not be an investigation. And then he almost leads Tom Cruise to the exact same fate. Uh, And there's a lot of frightening things there, which I think actually gets a payoff um, in the really confrontational scene between Tom Cruise and Robert Duvall right before the final race in this film. So there's a lot about that that I really like. I really like Michael Rooker. I think he's great. Um, as the original villain of uh, Rowdy Burns. What a great NASCAR name, by the way. Um, Michael Rooker, who's definitely rose back to prominence here in the last uh, decade, mostly from Guardians of the Galaxy, but also from other things. Uh, He's giving a pretty awesome performance as the main antagonist early on. And also, I think Randy Quaid is perfectly casted and is pretty fantastic and also delivers a wonderful line reading of you guys are looking like a monkey fucking a football out there (laughs) Um, I mean we all know what that looks like so (laughs) (laughs) oh boy also too really random use of uh, fuck in a sexual connotation in a PG-13 movie but there you go Um, it was the 90s it's so weird yes, that you it, say this was a PG-13 movie, because I will admit, until you said that, I assumed it was rated R, and not right. for any specific reason. It just has that weird swagger of, like, an adult drama that just does not get made anymore. So, anyway. I wouldn't uh, have assumed it was PG-13 myself. Yeah, well, there, there you go. It, apparently anything was getting past them at this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyways, I did quite like Randy Quaid, and I liked a lot of performances. Really early performance by John C. Riley here, playing a pretty solid small role. Um, but I really did like Robert Duvall, and I really did like Michael Rucker. And I love um, the detail that we get towards the end of this film of Cole Trickle, which is Tom Cruise's character, ending up driving... Rowdy Burns's car uh, in the Daytona 500 to defeat his new rival who took his old car, uh, which is Carrie Elway's character of Russ Wheeler, um, who's a total dickhead who also consistently describes what he's going to do people as putting them in the wall, which I feel like is totally a reference to saying putting people on the wall. I don't know why. He just says it too many times, and just every time I'm just like, eh, that seems really creepy. Uh, so I've obviously got a lot of thoughts on this, and I've seen this numerous times and always enjoy it. Um, but I always think this is a lot of fun. This is the first time I've revisited in probably five years, and I still liked it quite a lot. I think it's actually aged pretty well, and it definitely has an 80s vibe and definitely is a throwback movie to that era. And not saying that that era was good or better or anything like that, because it certainly was not a lot, especially with a lot of the dialogue and the actions and the 
creepy sexual things that are happening in this movie between Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. But it definitely is a nice snapshot of that era in cinema and NASCAR married together. So I guess I will leave it there for now and let one of you two go next. Anna, you want to go or you want me to go? Um, I can go. All right. All right. So um, I was um, looking forward to watching this film for the first time. I didn't know anything about it other than Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman are in it. And this is the uh, film where they met um, before they got married. I honestly didn't even know it was about NASCAR. Um, But I know this was like also during Tom Cruise's height of fame, like shortly after Top Gun, that was also a Tony Scott film. And I love Top Gun. So um, yeah, I did like this film. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I also really like sports dramas. So when I found out this was uh, a NASCAR film, I kind of, that kind of set my expectations for me there. Um, As we move forward, um, granted, this was my first viewing as well. There were some things that I definitely went over my head or I wasn't paying attention or what, but there were some things where I was like, oh, that doesn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to me. Now it makes sense to me. Like, I'm just, okay, so I'm just going to start my opening thoughts with this, just so you guys can, like, see how I feel as a first-time viewer. Um, Nick, I don't know if you've seen this film more than once. My guess is that you have. So in the in the very beginning, when um, Cole is, like, sizing up the stock car and, like, talking about how good he can drive it even though he's never driven that type of car before the context that i got out of it from that scene and then also the scene in the bar where he's like i don't know the first thing about race cars man i just don't have the vocabulary i understood it as oh my god tom cruise has never driven a car before in his life so that's the type of viewing I got from this. So that probably wasn't the most authentic response to have. I feel like you guys are rolling your eyes behind your computers as I say this, because I'm laughing at my own stupidity. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway. Wait, are you saying Tom Cruise, the actor? Or no, the, the character. Okay, like, Coltrickle had, ne- had never driven a car before in his life. And I was like, well, then why the fuck are they hiring him to be a part of this team? No, I will admit right now that actually, first of all, uh, I had not seen this movie before we did this. This is okay. one I never caught. So I was with you in the first 20 minutes where I had to reorient myself as to what kind of a rising star he was uh, going to be. And I did not know it was going to be the... I don't know anything about cars. I just know about how to drive, which doesn't make any sense. Well, but... Right. Well, <laughs> I was like, well, okay, what the fuck? So... Did you know how to change an air filter, dude? Like, come on. Well, so he's never driven a stock car before. He's driven, like, indie car before. So in terms of the differences between the weight in the car and the way that it moves and the way that it operates, um, Obviously, in terms of, I mean, I believe he had driven a car before, and uh, uh, he'd come from IndyCar, so a different type of racing um, beforehand. 
But yes, there is quite weird things happening with the way you're talking about Anna, though, because he's talking about ah wedge and those kind of things. I have no idea we're talking about which. I'm not huge in racing, even though I've watched quite a bit of NASCAR uh, in my life. But I was like, man, you should know about that, <laughs> even see, if. Okay, see, I'm I'm glad I'm not the only person where like some of those things just went over my head. And also, I think it's a combination of I feel like the sound editing just isn't that great sometimes, and like also the actors just weren't directed to like be as projecting and as enunciating because sometimes I feel like I just can't understand anything they're saying in this film. Um, but yeah, okay, I'm glad I'm glad that's not I'm not the only one with this sentiment. So, um, but. Uh, yeah, so um, also, I think, even though there are, like, issues with, I mean, things that Alex has pointed out before, like the weird sexist situations that happen, um, I am pro-Nicole Kidman's character in this film because I don't think I've ever seen her in a film with her natural hair and her natural accent. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I think this was also like really, really early on in her career too. So like, I haven't seen too many movies where like she was this young and, uh, what, um, what a queen. That's all I have to say. Like style. Uh, she, <laughs> she pretty much in everything I've seen other than that terrible Baz Luhrmann Australia movie, she mostly has an American accent in almost everything else I've seen, but yeah. no, like, I, I think she's a pretty great character in this movie, especially playing a doctor um, in a situation where she is at least originally being treated in the first time as a possible prostitute um, when he meets her, uh, when he's, you know, with it, sort of, for the first time. And, of course, she is a doctor, and she is very much trying to keep everything professional, and then he overcomes her with his slew of flowers and charm i don't know there's <laughs> uh, yeah so that storyline is very dated and terrible um but in terms of her performance i agree i think she's 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 quite good and feels very cozy um in her own skin in this film oh for sure i think i certainly think she's an actor um that's a natural and she's not a person who's like trying too hard and also not super important to the film, but I like how in certain shots, you can tell that Nicole is just taller than Tom because that's just the way it is. So um, those are those are my opening thoughts. At one point, he asked her how tall she is. <laughs> <laughs> See, OK, that's that was so weird. I feel like that line just didn't like get, what did we get from that line other than Tom Cruise asking her that? Because I thought that was set up for like their eventual date, right? Like what was the point of that? I didn't get well, it. That's supposed to be, well, I'm, I'm going to let Alex answer that if he has an answer. <laughs> about what? Sorry. I'm, about, I'm kind of confused about what you're about asking. About why he asked her how tall she was. This was before they officially go out on their date. Yeah. I feel like, it was two parts. A, I think it was an in-joke to her being taller than him. Okay. And then the second part of that would be that... I don't know if this film is smart enough to think this, but he <laughs> clearly has no idea how to talk to 
anyone, specifically women. So he's just <laughs> asking anything about them, like, uh, how tall are you? Like, I, I don't know. Okay, do you want to hear my uh, thing as yeah. far as why I thought he asked it, which I, I also don't think is what it was, but when he asked it before we cut to their date... Uh, I thought it weirdly had to do some to do with stock car racing because I thought height. No, but I thought height. No, weight, no, no. I'm I'm laughing because I think it, you're you're on track. Like uh-huh. I mean, you know, for a film about that or whatever, and there there is technically with stock car racing, there's you know a height and a uh, weight uh, at least consideration or whatever. So I thought he was trying to like I thought it was gonna cut to them in a car like on the track or whatever, and then when well, it didn't, I was like, okay. <laughs> See, that's what I assumed too. I was like, oh, there has to be like some cute racing date he has planned nope. for her. And then that's not the case. No, that was the only time there was a racing date is when he. Uh, With Michael Rooker. Of, yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say, oh. when he's on the brink of kidnapping her, when he decides to. Oh, yeah. He has to have an in date race with a taxi cab driver um, oh yeah and she just continuously is screaming let me out of the car oh let me out of the car oh my god i thought that was so funny when she said that that honestly. was funny uh that's a psychopath <laughs> taking her on a joyride yeah owned him and just screamed at him in the middle of the street exactly what he deserved in that point of the <laughs> yeah. film Hey, you know what? He just, he just, like, racing is so embedded in him that he just lives racing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's just so, oh, man. The Michael Rooker scene is so great because it's so stupid and so 80s. And it's, it, I love the the cutback between that and Fred Thompson and Randy Quay in the restaurant and him just being like, you can't control your drivers. How can you control your, or something like that? Control your race cars. I don't know. And uh, oh boy, what a terrible scene, but also wonderful. <laughs> um, I guess I will go. Yes. All right. You would be you. the last person to go. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> my opening thoughts is that I thought this was pretty good. I. Uh, actually, I've watched a couple Tony Scott movies this year that I'm not caught up with previously, so it's it might be the year of Tony Scott and a few other random directors that I've been catching up on. Um, but I, I am a sucker for this era of Tom Cruise, where he got to play a cocky asshole who's young, hot shit, who knows way more than his uh, older counterpart, but in reality, he's got to slow down just a little bit. And uh, learn a thing or two about life. Um, And this was certainly uh, an entry into that genre. And for good reason. Like, it's a winning formula. Uh, Not Formula One, because this is stock car racing. Am I right? (laughs) Um, But this movie... (laughs) uh, Can I I say really quickly? You can. My... My favorite line from this movie, and again, I love Robert Duvall in this. I think he's fantastic. But the worst line of this movie, for sure, is when he says, there's nothing stock about a stock car. Yeah, I'm like, well, that's kind of the whole point of the goddamn sport, but okay. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Yeah. 
Like, uh, I know nothing about racing or cars, but when that was like, you sure about that? <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, no, I'm with you there. Um, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with this. I think Tony Scott is uh, is a great director, actually. Like, even when he makes a bad movie, which this is not, but even when he does, he has a vitality to him that is always, I think, fascinating uh, from a scene-to-scene basis. And... I think one thing that Tony Scott does so well, and I told Alex this previously, but is that he is was, unfortunately, R.I.P., but was so great at taking some of the biggest personalities in Hollywood and harnessing that into a very kind of blue-collar, pot-boiler adult drama. You know, because you have uh, his movies with him and Tom Cruise, like uh, this one, or Top Gun, where, you know, one is a plane and another is a car, but the idea is that, you know, it's a quote-unquote man's job and someone's got to do it for the honor or whatever. Uh, And Tom Cruise somehow always toes that line in a Tony Scott movie of being a cocky asshole, but also weirdly kind of being dressed down by the world around him uh, in a, at least realistic enough way uh, to get you through to the finish line. (laughs) Um, But another person, obviously, Tony Scott did this with, and probably maybe the only other person that he did it with better uh, was with Denzel Washington and some of the thrillers that they teamed up with. But Tony Scott uh, just is so good at kind of painting this uh, these universes in which most people are not privy to. You know, in Top Gun, it was uh, the Air Force, and in NASCAR, or I should say in uh, this movie, it was NASCAR, because even if you're a fan, you don't get to sit down there, you don't get to actually, uh, you know, be present for the... The, the culture that happens behind the scenes and, and so on and so forth. And yet he always portrays it in this very kind of down-to-earth uh, way that um, is always kind of, I think he just, <laughs> and I don't mean this as a pejorative, but like he just makes like the best dad movies ever, you know? Like it's the kind of movies where uh, my own father, you know, grew up watching uh uh, just before he had children, and was like, "Ah, this is how men should be." You know, they 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 know their trade, and and they're bedding women. You know, but the movie's never <laughs> like I, I I'm being slightly whatever, but also it's like the movie's never gross about any of that either. It's also it's weirdly prudish when it comes to sex, uh, and so is like Top Gun even, um, and so it's like this weird platonic, almost suburban fantasy of what. Uh, these cultures look like in a way that's palatable uh, and if not uh, attainable to people who are never going to be in these positions whatsoever. So it's that salt of the earth uh, thing that he really lends to it. And I think Days of Thunder is another great example of it. It's not my favorite in uh, either Tony Scott's uh, filmography or even in this kind of subgenre that he was able to carve out, but it's by no means bad at all. It's, it's pretty great. Um, I thought, uh, as Alex mentioned, it's very well casted. Pretty much the entire bench here is uh, just a great uh, presence every time anyone's on the scene, whether it's Randy Quaid as the, uh, you know, car dealer, uh, uh, financial supporter, sponsor, whatever, uh, or even, yeah, Robert Duvall, who I'm always hit or miss on, uh, he's actually fantastic in this. 
and um, that scene of him and Cruz in the barn, I think, right? Uh, yeah, that the, was fucking legit. It like, is. And that was real. It is great, and that's... Uh, it's What I love about Tony Scott is, like, Tony Scott creates a movie that basically... Uh, always tries to lead up to that scene. You know, the one scene where the two guys uh, don't know the meaning of homoeroticism and just go at each other uh, for the sanctity and the honor of being, you know, whatever their role is in their profession and or their relationship uh, to, to one another. Uh, whereas, like, Michael Mann is like, no, we I gotta make a movie that's that scene for the rest of the movie like for in the entire two hours you're watching this um so i think that's why tony scott was became a little more famous uh but i that scene in the barn is fantastic uh because it's such a great example of when sports movie like say nothing and everything at the same time because when they keep going back and forth they are in no way uh being emotionally like revealing but that's the entire premise of that scene you know it's like they keep saying you're scared no you were scared and it's uh it, it works solely because of the dance being uh, performed between the actors and tony scott's direction like on paper that's just one of the worst like written scenes ever but it you would never think that when you're watching it because it's just so well performed and uh, uh, the way it happens kind of under the bask of those blue lights that Scott favored so much is it's just gorgeous um, but yeah uh, I, I thought throughout that this was very entertaining um, I actually thought my only real criticism before I throw it out to everybody was that I actually thought it was more slight I guess yeah slighter than I thought it would be when it came to its depiction of nascar in general I, I guess i obviously did not expect like i mean i knew it was a fictitious person and whatnot it wasn't gonna like it's not a biopic or anything like that but um it does let its character drama which is not bad by any means but certainly not revelatory uh it does let the character drama overshadow what i do think is its best asset which is the uh, mundane kind of depictions of NASCAR garages and office, you know, workroom conversations and whatnot. Um, and I kind of wish there was a little more of that. But overall, it's hard to complain when everybody is kind of g- giving their all. And um, frankly, when the movie is as entertaining as it is, uh, it's it's a weird movie where it's like I have no real complaints. It's just. Uh, it almost makes me wish there was a three-hour version, basically. I will say this before we talk more about this film and specific parts of it, but um, I will say that I feel like this is actually kind of an outlier uh, where you actually have a sports league letting you show some dirty laundry about their sport. Um you know, I don't think any professional sports league in this era that we currently live in would ever let anything like this happen. Um, yeah. And we talked, I think me and Nick, I think he, I think we talked about it maybe yeah. a week or two ago about the movie Major League, how that had the actual branding of the MLB sports teams in it, and it totally was not what they would want to have out there as their image in any way. Um, and I think that this is kind of a bit of the same. Even though 
of this era. Like, I think this is pretty damn spot on for what this was and actually was probably a little bit restrained. Um, so, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of the scenes, especially when we have, like, the commissioner of NASCAR meeting with them after they've had their doctor's visit where they're having their brain scans and everything. He's like, if you touch your cars again, I'm going to black flag you. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I... I will say I I'm complete I'm in complete agreement and I think that's maybe the one or where I would say I can kind of pull at the thread of like really the only flaw in this movie for me which is that like it's so weird to have the Nicole Kidman character be directly tied into the politics of what NASCAR is essentially doing in this movie and what the racers are experiencing because it's hard to separate the two but then at the end of the day, the movie favors uh, Nicole Kidman as the love interest, and that starts to overshadow a lot of the, I would say, medical uh, fudgery or whatever that is somewhat insinuated uh, throughout the entire picture. And I feel like that's where the movie is slightly at odds with each other. Yeah. Well put. I, uh, yep. So... Uh, First thing I definitely wanted us to talk more about was the Nicole Kidman Tom Cruise relationship, specifically the parts of this film that were extremely awkward. I mean, when you talk about the females in this film, um, oh, there's it's, yeah, it's that's not good. That's a problem. Yeah. I mean, first of all, we have the scene after Cole wins his first race where the, I mean, it is pretty elaborate where their trailer gets pulled over by a whole police unit of both <laughs> men and women. I, I, I texted you that the weirdest yeah. thing, and this is completely true because I genuinely had not seen it before, nor had I like caught parts of it or whatever on TV. But while I was watching the scene in which they were pulled over, uh, and then it was revealed that, you know, uh, that they were like a stripper or whatever, which is weird. Cause then it's like, why send a dude? Like, anyway. Yeah. Um, but I was like to Alex, I'm texting him and I'm like, wow. I'm like, this stripper escort service is so elaborate. This is like, this is going to have ramifications. And then I was like, kind of kidding. And then sure enough that that's actually followed up. See, on. <laughs> and here's the thing even though that is a pretty gross scene that we have, it's the payoff for the escort uh, who is grabbing his dick and then saying, is he going to use his weapon um, earlier on? I actually think that that, especially because of the guys in that scene and then the laughter that we get after he grabs Nicole Kidman's hand and puts it on his junk uh, when he's clearly not totally with it, um, I actually think that scene is pretty great, and I really love it because of Robert Duvall's, I don't know about tone, but just his actions in that when, like, Tom Cruise looks at him and just says, no, nope, nope, this isn't that, <laughs> and and he just goes forward with it, and it is just, like, it goes all the way, like, I feel like a lot of times, not, not that exact scene, but a scene like that go halfway and like have someone step in but it just they just let them just do it and then they just start giggling in the background and um yeah it's obviously bad and problematic but i feel like 
that's one thing about this film that lands for me at least is that this is unapologetically this era of film and this era of nascar married together and i feel like that that kind of scene would have maybe not happened exactly like that but could have totally went down in that way but man there's so much happening with the female characters specifically nicole kidman whether it's that or the flowers and that weird thing where he asks for her address and it's very available and how did he get the flowers in there? I mean, I, I don't know. I have so many questions. Um, and, and there's just a lot going on that is just, ugh. So that's a really good point that you bring up. I mean, not only just, like, the, the scene that we get with the stripper, but, like, kind of everything about the interactions between Cole and um, uh, Dr. Lewicki. Forgive me, I forget what her first name is. Um, but, um, I thought the stripper scene, like with the, you know, them getting pulled over, I was, I thought that was just really bizarre, but I didn't, I also didn't get the joke at first because when the gal like opens her shirt and reveals she's a stripper, I was like, wait a minute, is that Nicole Kidman? Because I don't get it. And then like when Nicole Kidman actually shows up and Tom Cruise thinks it's the stripper, I was like, Tom Cruise, that's not the stripper. That's obviously a doctor. It took me like a few <laughs> scenes later to be like, oh, it's because he thought what was happening. And so even I got bamboozled by like that whole thing. Man, but let me tell um, you, some some male writer in the late 80s thought that was just the greatest thing they've ever put together. <laughs> when he came up with that, I bet he was like, this is it. This is going to oh, be. hell yeah. This is this yeah. is timeless. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I mean, going to your point of like, oh, her address is just available. I feel like a hospital just wouldn't readily give out that information to like even a former patient, let alone um, just anybody randomly calling in. You're talking about Cole Trickle. Okay. <laughs> One of the greatest racers of all time. I was gonna say he well, he, no, he gets cares. his man or his woman. I mean, he, it doesn't matter. He's he's determined. Well, still, it's just so bizarre because. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm kidding. He's he's obviously a terrible person. Right, but even so, it's just like that's grounds for like a stalker situation, and like even if I watch this film, like. Seven years ago, prior to Me Too becoming the situation it's been, oh, it I would have been, been bad like, then too. Right, even back then, I would have been like, "Damn, that's like definitely stalker situation." And then to order thousands and thousands of dollars worth of flowers and balloons to her apartment, Jesus Christ, that's like if she wasn't interested, that's like fucking harassment, basically. And even if she is interested, that's not cute. Like, I think that that was a trope in movies from this era of like, oh, my God, you're great. I mean, we even see it in um, Wolf of Wall Street when Leonardo DiCaprio sends Margot Robbie a room full of flowers. Like, that's not cute. I don't think that is a stalker. It's also, like, incredibly wasteful. Like, <laughs> yeah. Where's she going to plant those? Hmm? 
I said, where's she going to plant those? Dead in a week. I mean, come exactly. On. It's just it seems very wasteful, and like even even the gesture, it's like it's all about the gesture. Like when we view it from the outside, but like what a pain in the ass that must be to like just look around and be overwhelmed at all this shit you didn't ask for. Yeah, now that you mention it, we never see those flowers again. Like no. Okay, so I was going to say, like, well, we never see her apartment again. I assume when they, like, do it, that's, like, at her apartment, right? (laughs) It would have been great if there were just dead flowers everywhere uh, in her apartment. (laughs) That would have been fantastic. (laughs) But, yeah, that's a good point. We never see any of those again. We never see the bear inside its own balloon again. So, Yeah. yeah. But I do agree with uh, both of you gentlemen that I also am not the biggest fan of the way females are portrayed. But overall, I do like Dr. Lewicki's character a lot because she is one of the people who tells Cole, like, you're going to get yourself killed if you keep um, behaving this way. And I like you guys bring up a really good point about the way the sport itself is portrayed because... I definitely believe, I'm sure it's still part of the culture in NASCAR today, I don't think that part has changed at all, where um, race car drivers don't go to anybody's funeral, and they have a stubbornness about, like, wanting to go to the doctor. Not to say that that's, like, across the board, that's how they behave, but um, I can definitely believe it, especially with Michael Rooker's character's ignorance about wanting to go to his follow-ups, and then, lo and behold, he needs brain surgery. So, So here's the only thing I will say and i mean i can't speak for what drivers are in this era in terms of their feelings on death and funerals and all that i'm sure there's still quite a bit of that what you just described anna but um the sport of nascar after dale earnhardt's death in 2001 underwent a pretty large transformation in terms of trying to be more cognizant of safety uh, and the idea of changes in the helmets, changes in the way that helmets and drivers are situated in cars, changes in um, walls on tracks and having them not be as rough. So when you crash into them, it's not just a hard crash into a hard wall and you're left in a terrible position. Um, because in reality, like deaths were a common occurrence that was oddly accepted uh in any kind of racing uh including nascar for many years up until um late 90s early 2000s i mean there were a slew of deaths uh in nascar in the 90s uh and up until dale earnhardt's passing in 2001 so it was definitely a real thing of of the danger and the idea of people letting their lives be on the line every time they went to work. Um, And that's such a weird difference from nowadays where like drivers get injured and drivers have serious injuries. And earlier this year, uh, people were concerned that a driver did die during an event. He did not die. Uh, He just ended up with a bit of an injury and he's actually back driving in NASCAR now. But uh, I think it's certainly a different climate now than it was uh when this film came out well i mean it you know it was the days of thunder not the days of thunder <laughs> okay <Nick. laughs> oh, boy. um i also meant to ask both of you 
now that uh, Nick brings that up, is Days of Thunder like an expression in racing, or is that no. just no? Like, that's that's like just I, at least I that's, thought that's nothing. Just just eighties, you know, <laughs> sounded cool, tacky shit. Yep. Okay. <laughs> all right. I just wasn't sure. I don't know anything about racing. So. It'd be kind of cool if it was, but it's not. It's kind of like t- Top Gun is technically about the Air Force, and I'm not saying that they're not weapons in a way, but they're not ever like <laughs> they're they're mostly doing weird uh drills throughout that entire movie to the point where uh it, maybe you should just call it top plane but anyway <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's great uh what did you guys think about the um rivalry that we see between Cole and Rowdy Burns throughout this. Obviously, it comes full circle in the end, haha, uh, when he ends up taking over his race team, uh, which is kind of a weird situation, uh, and then beating his new rival, who is played by Robin Hood Man in Tights, uh, and, and definitely an interesting thing. I will say, too, real quickly, I love when he has his tires changed after the race is over and then goes out and intentionally crashes him. Both because mm-hmm. that is super silly and ridiculous. And at the same time, great because Carrie Elway's reaction when he sees him, he's just like, ah! Uh, <laughs> <it's awesome. laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, Anna. No, Nick, you go ahead. Oh, my goodness. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I was slightly surprised uh, about halfway through when I realized the trajectory of, you know, uh, Cruz and Rooker's uh, friendship or whatever, uh, was that how much Talladega Nights was cribbing from, like, the only other NASCAR movie. (laughs) So, uh, and not in a bad way, just like, uh oh, so that was even, anyway, but there's a lineage of that. Yeah. What were you gonna say, Anna? Um, so I am I'm glad that Alex proposed that question about the rivalry because um they make it pretty clear like in the um in the beginning parts of this film that they are indeed rivals. Like this that's what I liked about this film a lot is that it doesn't really waste any time cutting to the chase. And then when it it like culminates to them also like racing each other in wheelchairs in the hospital was which was just so that's great painfully (laughs) and also hysterical where I had to be like what's happening and then it gets to them racing the rental cars on the beach and then I actually really do like that they become friends but there was like I think there was a moment where. Um, amongst all of that, I had to think to myself, wait a minute, aren't they rivals? Because I think they start to get like maybe a little bit chummy um, before they actually like get over that. But I also will say um, when Carrie Elwes, it's like he's introduced. I think he does a really good job um, like giving off that evil energy. I think he's actually very good at that. Um, he, I think he's like one of those natural actors too, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like the shift, um, that we see between those two people in relation to Cole. Yeah. I mean, it really comes (laughs) full circle uh, (laughs) with Cole trickle 
throughout the film as he is the young hotshot who's has a rival early on and then just one season later it's on the opposite end of the spectrum where they're literally driving the other's cars and uh, i don't know there's just some about that that i just love and that he ends up winning the daytona 500 the following year driving rowdy burns's car yeah um i i just love that it's great i'm with you in the sense that i I actually really like that storyline, mostly because of the actors, not because of uh, the way it's set up, because I think that's the one thing about it, is that it feels super rushed, Um, but the actors sell the hell out of it, to the point where they also don't even overplay it either. I mean, when they're talking about it in the hospital, it's kind of that interesting... uh, pragmatic approach, where it's like... I mean, I do think they actually do grow to like each other, but... Mm -hmm. Technically speaking, uh, you know, Michael Rooker's character is talking from a place of practicality and saying, like, yeah, I really need this because I need to provide for my family. Um, and you'd be kind of a dick to say no. <laughs> like, you know, it's just kind of whatever. And, and, you know, the begrudging respect that uh, crops up between the two, I think, is earned, but definitely on the strength of the performances. Well, also, too, in that same vein, we have Randy Quaid's character who's goes on a similar path throughout the film where he's trying to start a race team. He tries to get Harry, uh, Robert Duvall's character, out of retirement after he's retired because of an incident that happened where his driver died. He coerces him out of retirement, gets him to have a guy who's inexperienced in the car. Then on the first sign of having success, he... um, well, I guess not exactly, but he has a dual team then after uh, Russ Wheeler takes over for Cole when he's inactive because of his injuries. And then, obviously, there's a lot of tension there, but then he weirdly, like, is playing both sides, like Severus Snape in a way. Like, it's <laughs> very odd where he's just like, oh, yeah, I gave you guys the engine. Go push that car. It's like, what? Why? Why would you? Even the NASCAR officials like you can't do that. This is a very odd situation. And then uh, I do love Randy Quaid in this movie a lot. And I think I'm a little, especially watching a movie like this. And me and Nick just watched Hard Rain like a month ago. I think he's great in that as well. And I'm a little sad that he went way off the deep end. This era (laughs) of Randy Quaid is genuinely like great. Uh, Not because he gives like emotionally searing performances or anything like that but he is exactly the archetype that uh a lot of directors were going for in uh mm-hmm. in, in what they were casting him in during this era for sure yeah and again i'm a little sad that he's went totally off the deep end has reached the point a long time ago of never coming back but um that one part late in the film where cole is like being put up on people's shoulders, which is really weird for a race car movie. But he, they just, just like one shot of him be like, <laughs> I don't know. That was great. Well, he's tiny. Um, so they like to put him up there. <laughs> I can make that joke. Cause I'm small. And then they took Nicole Kidman and, you know, got all nine feet of her up there next to him. So it was all good. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, also really quick. I definitely wanted to mention this, Nick, I sent you the screenshot of this earlier today, but oh, yeah. the ending, freeze frame of this film after the 
actual literal running between uh, Robert <laughs> Duvall and Tom Cruise, which must have been awkward to film because obviously Tom Cruise is known for his <laughs> bizarre running in films, and Robert Duvall's in the, already in this film was old as fuck, so he must have been running at like a third of the possible speed that he could run at to have that look like they were next to each other. I'm just picturing um, the first time they shot that. And then Scott just, you know, like, cut. Uh, hey, hey, Tom, come here for a second. Um, listen, could you, uh, could you, like, lag behind a little bit? Uh, we, we need it for... Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, t- you got it, Tony. Yeah, sorry about that. Okay. And then they have to do it, like, 50 more times because you just cannot <laughs> do it until like eventually... Just, yeah. and, and the fact that it ends on that freeze frame and they both have this, like... I just farted smile on their face. Well, like, Talladega Nights nice ends on a freeze frame, doesn't it? Uh, I, I thought don't know. It, maybe it's not a freeze, but no, I, I, I thought, thought it I remember. Ends on, uh, them getting in the car with Gary Cole and going oh, wait, to but Applebee's. I think there is a freeze frame after the race. I thought the that whole. I think the whole, um, you know, we belong together thing where they're running, I think. At least, if not ends on a freeze frame, like use utilizes a freeze frame. I could be wrong, but anyway. But that scene reminded me of that uh, mm. uh, a parallel there, at least. But yeah, no, that you sent me that text, and I had forgotten to tell you that I had not finished the movie. Not that that was like, <laughs> a spoiler or anything, but like I got that picture, and the reason why I never texted you back because I was like, oh, well, clearly I need to finish this movie to understand the deep uh, context here because. <laughs> I was like, what is going on here? Especially because they're both wearing mellow yellow carbonate. Um, yeah, and Tom Cruise uh, is kind of in blackface a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm only partially joking. I, I like, How does he fairness, get that much grease from just driving a car? Okay, in fairness, I think that is entirely accurate of that era. Okay. Because um, the drivers oh, and those cars all electric days, now. Well, <laughs> in, that, in that era when they didn't have a full mask around their face, uh, they did get a lot of like grease and whatever from the engine. So it was really common for them to look like that after a race for okay. drivers. So I think it's actually oh, wow. pretty accurate. Yeah. Hmm. It's just a little racially charged for my taste. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, there is like... A, because watching and one of the things that led me to even like think about pre- presenting this as an episode uh, was the idea of like the fifth or sixth shot of this film is just a close up on the Confederate flag. And I was like, oh, didn't even think about that at the time. But man, that's not looking good. Yeah, <laughs> but that should really be edited out. Um, speaking of like shots, uh in this film, not necessarily the Confederate flag shot, because honestly, I didn't notice that. Yikes. Um, so <laughs> there, there are certain shots that... Look at that pretty flag. <laughs> <laughs> there are certain shots that, like, to me, I, I really like just because that era of 90s branding and merchandising is just unlike anything that had been out at the time and is not really something that's done now just because like technology is has improved so much but like the way all of those uh sponsorship logos look 
next to each other during one of those setup shots for one of the races. It's like the Coke logo looks like the logo from like the 80s, 90s and like, hmm. I don't know, mellow yellow looked the way it does. Yeah. And All the Hardy's logo is so yeah. good. And the Hardy logo, like just things like that just really stuck out to me. And I was like, oh, it's going to be this kind of movie. Like, bring it on, man. So I All thought right. were super cool. So another, I think a lot of those were stock images, though, right? <laughs> they were. You son of a bitch. Oh, my God. Oh, I just. Oh, you're terrible. Uh, so uh, another thing I will mention that I love is the uh, both the main theme of this film and the score throughout this, I love. It's great. It's just, it just, like, Emily was getting so pissed at me earlier this week because every, like, now and then I'd be like, dun, 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 dun. Uh, so you say that, but now I'm envisioning like it's 3 a.m. and you're just laying in bed doing that for no reason. No, it, it was more happening like at the dinner table and she'd be like, just shut up and eat your spaghetti. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, it's about, it's about right. Yeah. No, the, the, like this is, I feel like that's a, like, I mean, obviously things like Harry Potter can do, but, like, I feel like every movie in this era had its own theme song, and I love oh, that this has It's the like, product of the 80s movies having oh, their yeah, own theme song. Oh, yeah, for sure. I just, I just love it here. Like, that music just fits in with race car driving, especially in this vein. And I just, every time I watch it, I'm just like, ooh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you guys want to go to final ratings? Sure. Okay. So, Who wants to go first? I'll go first. We'll go backwards. How about that? Me and uh, okay. you? Okay. All right. Okay. I will. Whew, I will take the baton first and say that I very much enjoyed this. I I feel like the only thing was that was missing was just a little more. And I mean that in a very vague and general sense, just a little more of everything, like just a little more of the NASCAR, you know, uh, salt of the earth mundaneness, a little more uh, to Nicole Kidman's character, <laughs> just a little more across the board. And I feel like this would be a stone cold classic. But short of that, it's still a good movie that holds up. So, I mean, that in and of itself is obviously a pretty big feat i think for uh considering the cast of this era and the subject matter um so i i think it's it's pretty good uh i definitely think it's uh like if you were gonna do a tony scott uh study so to speak this is very emblematic of what he was good at uh for sure and um yeah i give it three and a half out of five stars and uh <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> cool. All right. Um, I give this film three out of five stars. Um, I think this is a very well done sports drama. Um, I mean, there's very little that I didn't like about it. I feel like now, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like this is a movie that's on TV all the time. If oh, not, yeah. it's okay. So I literally it, saw it like part of it on TV a couple weeks before Alex suggested it, and that okay. was the first time I had actually caught any part of any movie on TV in a while. 
Okay. All right. Um, it it definitely gives me the that vibe for some reason. Um, that it's just uh something that programmers can put in and you can pick it up at any point and you just know that this movie is about NASCAR. Um, I think uh I I think that the way this film gets straight to the point um and it moves the characters along in the way that you are really needing them to and then there's a love story and it's not too clunky it's um it's like it nicole kidman isn't just the love interest she's also the doctor making sure these people don't die um and um like was mentioned earlier, I do appreciate that this is a film that brings attention to the issues that arise in the sport um, pre um, the death of Dale Earnhardt Sr., like was mentioned earlier. Um, and this just really captures like late 80s, early 90s um, drama, it, sports drama, basically. Um I really could just take any movie like this and just straight up go for it because that's just how much I really like movies about sports. Um, and I do think this was a really good era for Tom Cruise too, like uh, before Mission Impossible um, and also before his nose job. Um, I um, I really do like this era for him. Um, and I think it's cool to see like early Nicole Kidman too. Um, but yeah, three out of five for me. I really like this a lot. Right on. So, I am obviously a pretty huge fan of Days of Thunder, and I give it four out of five stars. Um, I, again, have seen this many times throughout my uh, life. Uh, so, when I was in my younger teen years, watched it quite a few times in my 20s, and now watching it in my 30s. Uh, I appreciate this for different reasons than I did when I was younger, um, and I still think it is quite delightful. Um, really good performances and good characterizations here of people, uh, even though there are plenty of problematic storylines, specifically with the females in this movie. Um, this is still just a wonderful movie to watch, I think. Um, and there's just a lot about it that I just love every time, whether it's the relations relationships between the characters or the way that Tom Cruise's Cole Trickle uh, moves throughout uh, the story from his uh, introduction into it to becoming a hotshot winning races guy to the horrible crash that happens at Daytona. I mean, I will say... They filmed that really well because, like, there's no way that a human's not dying from that crash that he was in. Uh, and obviously he uh, moves on from that. But um, there's just so much here to like for me, especially of a film from this era. And I think that it really hit a lot of the right notes. And for that reason, I give it a four out of five. So if you out there have any thoughts on Days of Thunder, always feel free to try to find us. Um, by emailing us at filmtankshow at gmail.com or reaching out to us uh, either on Facebook or Twitter at Film Tank Show. Also, you can find our episodes on filmtankshow.com or also on Apple Podcasts 
or Stitcher and other places. Um, Spotify. There it is. I always forget it. It's, it's We're just, a running joke just as popular time. as the Joe Rogan experience. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. He's, uh, he's having a time here. We'll say that. I mean, it's not a bad time necessarily for him. <laughs> no. We'll see if that keeps going. I, 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 he really has to go, like, in my opinion, off the deep end to truly ruin what he's got going because what he's got going is pretty much impervious to the things that would normally der- derail somebody's, you know, career, so. <sighs> yeah, I mean, uh, we obviously don't need to get into it, but I... <laughs> no, we I, need to get into this. Yeah, I pretty much agree, but I also wish that it wasn't true. Anyways, <laughs> um, so, yep, that is what we've got on uh, this film, Days of Thunder. Coming up on our next episode, our friend Sam is going to join us again uh, in the film that she uh, suggested to me. Uh, that she would like to do is a film that I had heard about, which came out on Netflix last year uh, that I, I'll be honest, I had no interest in, but uh, I'm interested to take some time and watch, which is the film starring Zac Efron uh, about Ted Bundy, which is extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. Um, that title is really something. I think you missed up the title. It's uh, extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile, incredibly close and uh, it's very loud. <laughs> Everybody uh, remember yes. when 9-11 dramas were all the rage? <laughs> oh, man. They were fetch. I mean, you had Adam Sandler in one, so that... <laughs> that technically... Did you not like that movie? No, I, uh, I'll i say this. I have not watched that in a hot minute. Uh, I enjoyed it. When it came out, let me look up the year because I'd be curious really quick. Uh, of course, we're talking about Rain Over Me. Uh, uh, let me just see here. Okay, that was 2007. Yeah. I was 14 when that came out, and I watched it then, and I loved it then. Uh, that doesn't make me think I would love it today, <laughs> but I I don't necessarily... I, I really would have to re-watch that before I gave any sort of opinion, because that is a very... Uh, oh boy, what's the word I want to use? That is a... A lot of choices are made. Let's put it that way. Yep. <laughs> so I will agree with you, but I will say this, and this is something I thought about last week when my friend suggested this to me, and I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> and I, I, I feel like I kind of feel the same way, and I'm sure there's an exception to this, but, man, there are not a lot of bad Don Cheadle movies out there. Uh, no, I would uh, probably agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's some, and this may be one of them, because I also have not seen this in... I mean, he's got one of the worst lines in Crash, so I guess that's probably the definitive bad Don Cheadle. What are you talking about? That one best picture. It's good. Yeah, that literally has a, a, for being a quote-unquote moving uh, meditation. (laughs) I thought you were going to say for being a quote-unquote 
movie. Well, that too. <laughs> uh, but for being a moving meditation on race and racial tension, that literally had the scene where he answered the phone and said, What's up, Mama? I'm fucking a white girl. <laughs> Despite <laughs> the fact that he's technically supposed to be a pretty, not straight-laced, but normal person anyway. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one best picture. Uh, yeah, but you know what? We can all just pretend that it was an honorary Best Picture win for David Cronenberg's crash from the 90s, so that's all good. I don't, I don't know, because I've, I've seen Crash, but I have not seen, um, what's the one that won two years ago with, um... Oh, Green Book? Yeah. Yeah, I have not seen that either. That's the first... Best picture since the 90s that I have not sat down to watch. I'd be interested if that's worse than Crash. I don't think it could be because, unfortunately, <laughs> Crash... I mean, I think they'd be pretty equal, but like Crat's entire, uh, shall we say, MO is to try to offer scope. <laughs> and if you are failing at depicting any sort of authentic uh, race relations and you're also trying to say here's 10 different versions of fucking realism uh, compared to Green Book's uh, shitty uh, make-believe story about one uh, interaction. I, I kind of give the benefit of the doubt to Crash, but that's well, just me. And I guess I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. That also was the year when most people thought that Brokeback Mountain should have won Best Picture, right? I think that was the same year, yes. Uh, yeah. 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 Hmm. Interesting times. Anyways, um, we will see what everyone thinks about that Zac Afron Ted Bundy movie next week. Um, the last episode with Sam was not a movie that I loved, so but I'm going to give another one a chance, and we will see how it goes. So... Look forward to that coming up on next week's episode. Anna, as always, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, as always. And Yay. just another tease to go off of what Anna mentioned early in the episode. Uh, the next time we get together later on this summer, again, who knows when the episode will come out, uh, we're going to do an episode on the classic movie Jaws. So oh. look forward to that. Um, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> and I can confirm from a discussion earlier this year that Toussaint has not seen Jaws because I said a detail from it and he was like, ha yeah. And I was like, you haven't seen that. He's like, nope. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. <laughs> yeah. It was also the movie where Nick reminded me how I can't do math. So. <laughs> what? Really? Why won't it? Oh, it's when you talked about Richard Dreyfus. Yes, because I talked about how old he was. I was and like, I and I got it wrong. Yeah, I was like, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> That's okay. But now I forever no, but... know how old Richard Dreyfus was when Jaws came out. <laughs> no, but there's some there's some powerhouse performances in that movie. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, also, I mean, that, that movie shark? spawned a lot of sequels. And oh man, come on, don't talk about Bruce that way. <laughs> I don't care how bad that movie is. I'm never going to not remember oh, that joke uh, from that, Strange Wilderness. I was going to say, that's a Steve Zahn reference, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 
<laughs> I honestly want to rewatch that entire movie just for that joke. So maybe one of these days. No, that that's good. I've watched that clip numerous times, and it's great. There's a really random joke early in that clip that's actually hilarious. It has nothing to do with that obnoxious. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, Jaws has a pretty solid performance from uh, Roy um, Scheider and also from Robert Shaw, uh, who I'm pretty sure was drunk the entire film, which is good because he's playing an alcoholic character. Um, But his... And have you seen it, Anna, or have you not? Yes, I have, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. His description of, um, I think, is it is it World War II or Vietnam? I can't remember. Ugh. It probably had to be Vietnam, is my guess. Yeah, yeah I think po- Vietnam. I, I'm not positive, but he tells a story about a wartime in that film that is, like, pretty deep for that story i mean that was a film that literally had a mayor being like we gotta stay open well actually that seems very fitting now in this era but um it's a very silly movie for a lot of it but yes it cuts pretty deep at that one uh part and then a couple other parts too so so apparently it was world war ii was it uh you're talking about the character of quint yes yep it's that uh okay came up with the backstory of Quint as a survivor of World War II to uh, the USS Indianapolis. Oh, I was incorrect. I okay. wouldn't okay. I wouldn't have known. So, I am yeah. um, uh, just going to Wikipedia. Yeah, that makes sense, especially since it was a 1975 film and he'd be like, "Oh, back in Nam," it'd be like, "Ooh, okay." No. <laughs> no. That's all good. But anyways, going to look forward to that down the road with uh, Anna at some point. So from from Anna Bodozadu, Nick Cheney, myself, Alex Diekman, as always, thank you very much to everybody for joining us here on Film Tank. We'll be catching up with you next time.